In three, two, one. Welcome to the Soon to Be Mad podcast. I'm uh, meteorologist Justin Stapleton. We are talking hurricanes, we're talking flooding, we're talking all things Houston. Put all three of those together, and yeah, that pretty much means summertime for us around here. I've got some great guests on uh, today's podcast. I've got Jeff Linder from uh, Harris County Flood Control. Jeff, always nice to see you. Good to see y'all. And we've got Chief Meteorologist Frank Billingsley, uh, who is a, uh, let's, let's just say, a veteran of many uh, floods here across uh, the great city of Houston, southeast Texas. Yep. Uh, so first, what we wanted to talk about was this year, a couple hour, or a couple hours ago, I should say, this year's hurricane forecast was just dropped by the National Hurricane Center. And both of you, we were just discussing about this, said there are some surprises to it. So let me show you the numbers real quick here. So for named storms, uh, they went 11 to 17, Ma- or excuse me, hurricanes 5 to 9, and then major hurricanes, Cat 3 higher, which would be 2 to 4. Now, that puts it at as an above-average season for this year, which, Jeff, you had said, kind of surprising. Frank, you said that as well. Well, it's, it's an above-average season on the top of that range. Mm-hmm. It's a below-average season on the bottom of that range. So, you know, if average is three and you say two to four, two to four. And that's what happens, I think, with that forecast, particularly coming from the government. They give themselves a wide range, and they always have, ever since they started their forecasting about 10, 15 years ago. Whereas most of the forecasts, not all, but a lot of forecasts go with one number. They, they pick three. They don't go to four. Like Colorado State, for example. Colorado State, for example. And I, I think that's a better way to do it, in my opinion, because this range tells you, well, it might be a below average season, it might be an average season, it might be an above average season. Cover all your bases. Would you agree, Jeff? Yeah, I, I just think the, the thing that the, we're keying in on is where we were looking at April and where we're looking at now, it looks like we could have more storms than maybe what we were thinking in April. It looks like April El Nino, really below yeah, now. It looks like El Nino is not going to be as big of a factor now. Right. Um, so, yeah. And El Nino does a great job of keeping hurricanes from developing. It doesn't necessarily do a great job of keeping tropical storms from developing. Mm-hmm. And you get an Allison uh, or just a Category 1 that doesn't have a lot of steering current to it. For us, that's almost worse than a hurricane. Right, which, which has done the most damage historically. Well, it certainly can. I mean, you, you know, Ike was a, a 2 in terms of wind, uh, 3 in terms of its pressure. Its pressure was actually lower than Alicia, which was a 3. But in terms of its, of its storm surge, it was a 4 or 5. So it was a two, three, four, five, all in one hurricane. That's what you So this categorization is the, the is 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 easy to message. I mean, that's why it was created. And Dr. Neil Frank was the one that helped create that back in the early '70s to give the public a number. This is a Cat One. It could do this. Here's a Cat Three. It will do that. Here's a Cat Five. Run. And and so what we've learned is you can't really just say, oh, it's a Cat Three or Four or Five, and this is what it's going to do. You have to look at every individual storm how wet your grounds are, what, what you've already been through, what you can handle, the direction of the storm, how long it's been over water, the fetch is what we call that, the, the, obviously the winds, but what part of the winds of the hurricane are the winds the strongest. You have to look at the whole thing now. You can't just say, oh, there's a Cat 3 hurricane coming and this is what it's going to do. Right. It's, it's so uh, the message that I'm getting from this above normal from the, from the National Hurricane Center is absolutely don't lay your guard down. It's been a boring eight year, nine years, really. Eight years, certainly. This will be our ninth since Ike. We haven't had a lot here in Texas to talk about. 
But that doesn't mean that we can let our guard down. And, and I think there's some psychological play into those numbers, which I think you're right about as well. Jeff, what do you, what, when you saw that come out today, you'd mentioned before, a little surprising that it was above average. And, and one, we've already had one tropical storm named. Uh, and we didn't even get to the season. And those numbers include Arlene. Right. This is, by the way. Right. So what are your thoughts on that, of why they may have been going a bit of an above average, and obviously within the range, but still the, the, the trend for this is what we've seen so well, far. I think we started seeing after the Colorado State numbers came out in, in April, we started seeing some signals from the Atlantic of above average sea surface temperatures, which we need the warmer the water, the more tropical activity you can potentially have, the weakening of the potential El Nino, so less shear, a little bit more rainfall in Africa. All of these are positive signals for the Atlantic that have really started to show themselves in the last month or so, and I think that's why you're seeing some higher numbers from NOAA. You, I suspect when Colorado State comes out with theirs, update the 1st of June, yeah. we're going to see his numbers probably come up a little bit too. Um, and it's just we're getting the signals right now from the Atlantic that we weren't seeing earlier in the season. Uh, one thing I will point out, a lot of people have been commenting about, is how warm the Gulf of Mexico has been, you know, over the winter time. We haven't had a lot of cold air this year, so the Gulf has been running very warm. Um, but it's actually cooled quite a bit in the last uh, six weeks or so. And so it's running about average for this time of year, running around 80 degrees, which is about average. So people don't need to be overly worried about the hot Gulf of Mexico that we had. The Gulf of Mexico is always hot come summertime around here. Um, but what I would like to remind people about is, these types of seasons where we possibly have a, a, an El Nino in place or a weak El Nino tend to favor in-close development. What I mean by that, in the Gulf of Mexico, in the Western Caribbean, off the Southeast U.S. coast. So it's not these big, long Cape Verde African hurricanes that come that we have days to watch them like Ike and Rita were. Uh, we are very capable of developing a hurricane very quickly in the Gulf of Mexico and having it strike land in 60 hours or 40 hours. And people need to build that into their plans, that you might not have five or four, even three days to prepare for this. And you might have to very quickly react if something develops in the Gulf of Mexico. And we've, we've certainly seen that recently with Umberto and even Allison. And let me bring up Alicia of 1983, which was the quietest storm for 53 years. Uh, that, that was the quietest season was 1983. And there were only four storms that developed, a tropical storm, two ones, and a three. The category three was Alicia. And it developed on an old cold front south of Louisiana. And within 36 hours, 36 to 40 hours, it had become a Category 3 hurricane and was slamming in to the Galveston coast with a 10-foot storm surge and 115-mile-an-hour winds. It was a compact-type storm, but it made a beeline in. It killed 22 people and, in today's dollars, produced about $7.5 billion in damage. So, as Jeff says, we're more than capable of producing a full-blown hurricane that can kill people and can give us untold amounts of damage in just a day and a half. Now, the big difference, no meteorological difference uh, between 1983 and 2017, the big difference is population. There were only 3 million people in southeast Texas in 1983, and now there's six, twice, and not just twice as many people in terms of 5 to 10, Three million to six million. Mm -hmm. There's two of what there was. And evacuating that many people is impossible. There's no way you're going to evacuate anybody when you have a 30-hour developing storm that comes to your coast. And that's one of the big concerns, which is why we say make a kit, 
have a plan of where you're going to stay in your home with your kit. And get it all done ahead of time. And get it all done ahead of time. Because you may not have time to go to the store to refill your prescription bottle. And you need that medication. You may not have time to even get uh, food or water or anything that you are going, going to be needing when the power is out for a week or two or three. So you don't want to go and spend every last dime on a hurricane kit. And people tell me that. A lot of people are on fixed incomes. But at least get those most important things that you have to have that you may not be able to get for a month. Just make that rule of thumb. And interestingly enough, this was something that uh, we've all talked about here at the station is the idea um, but that people that, let's use that number, we've now doubled the, the population that you have here across the greater Houston-Galveston area. So you have people that within the past nine years have maybe never experienced a hurricane, have never lived through this. I've never been through an avalanche. Exactly. So, that, yeah. What do I prepare for? Exactly. Yeah, I, would have, right. I would have no idea if I was in a mountain home. Suddenly said, they said there's an avalanche coming. I'd be like, well, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> Strap on the skis. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. I would have no idea. But, um, but there are so many resources. There are so many guides. And it's really pretty simple. I mean, you need, you need to make sure that you have enough perishable goods and a can opener to get those goods, uh, non-perishable goods open. And, and water, usually a gallon per person per day. So you do the math on that. Um, some people fill bathtubs if something's coming to get a water supply there, just fill the bathtub up. Uh, I, I think that you need some kind of form of light, flashlights, some kind of uh, radio or uh, operated television that you can get information. Uh, a lot of people need to just put all of everything that's on their computer, put it on a flash drive. Because if for some reason your computer is destroyed, at least you'll have that flash drive. Yeah. Uh, and you'll have your information. That's a, that's a business for a lot of people. And interestingly enough, and this was a point I was going to make with this too, is that since we haven't seen a hurricane or you know a, a major storm like that here across the, uh, southeast Texas, since the advent basically of social media, that social media now is a very big driving force for how people obviously get information or unfortunately misinformation as well uh, that you know all of us I think deal with. Uh, the other interesting parts of that is, is that now the main source of what people are using for getting any of their information is their cell phones. You know, so that's always something that you have to conclude with that as well is, you know, a charging source, something like that. I, I think it's going to be better than, than worse. I, I know that you can say, well, there's going to be all these people making their own forecasts. I don't know about that. Um, and, I, and I don't know about all the and, and people giving bad information. I think most people are responsible, especially in a time of crisis. And they want to show others what's going on in their neighborhood. We've had click two pins for three years running. And I, I've never had anything ever crazy on there. I, especially with, with social media now tying to your name and your account. So you, you're not as anonymous out there posting as maybe we were 10 years ago. Right. Now people know who you are. And if you're giving bad information, you could be held liable for it. So I think there's some responsibility. Would you agree with that, Jeff? You've been through these floods and people talking about them. Are most people responsible? I mean, yeah, I think for the most part we, we have responsibility in, in that realm. Um, we still have rumors. Things still get going. And the problem with social media is when something wrong is said, it can spread very quickly, and it's very hard to try to rein it back in. Um, you know, one thing to say is now is the time to know 
who the official sources of information are. You have the National Hurricane Center, you have the National Weather Service, you have your local TV meteorologist, your Office of Emergency Management. Those are the people when it when things yes, are happening. Well, follow him on Twitter. There's the flood control. Absolutely. But when things are happening, those are the people you need to listen to. You know, your neighbors and your friends will talk to you. They'll call you. They'll they'll say stuff. We learned that with Rita that a lot of our evacuation problems were not because of what officials were saying. It was because neighbors and friends were calling and saying, I'm leaving, and they just followed suit. You know, I didn't want to get left behind. And so it's important, especially with something like we were talking about with rapid developing, where we need people to really listen to what is being said, and we need to target specific areas to evacuate to get those people out. That's when it becomes very important to listen, especially to the meteorologist and the TV uh, and, the, and the, the announcements coming out from your local government. And interestingly enough, what I think we've seen over at least the past two years since we had the you know devastating floods of 2015 is the advent of different community groups on Facebook, for example, the folks in Ireland, yeah. um, which has been very helpful to help collect that information to get it out and disseminate it to a very wide audience. And I think what you're uh, saying here, Jeff, is to, you know, chew off some of the of the bad information, you know, just cut it down and get it lean so that people get exactly what they need, and then it's within that group. And I think it does kind of help to, to, yeah, to we take down some of that. Mm-hmm. We've got to stick to facts. We can't go with fear. And when, when there's a storm or a flood fear, it's easy to say, oh, my gosh, look what's coming. You know, and that's not, that's not the, the responsible way to go uh, because you can't, think, you can't think properly when you're afraid of something. You have to say, what are the facts? Who, pick whoever you want to listen to and be prepared. Be prepared yeah. for anything. That sounds good as well. Speaking I'm gonna, of being prepared, prepared, I'm going to leave you all with this. Um, I think you're going to talk about Memorial Day. <laughs> we were getting to it. the expert. We were getting to it. Uh, Chief Meteorologist Frank Billingsley joining us there as well. And uh, if you would like to know more information about this year's uh, hurricane preparations, this year's forecast as well, uh, if you are in the greater Houston area, the Hurricane Expo is coming up on June 3rd. That is uh, not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after that. Uh, KPRC Channel 2 weather team will be there as well. Jeff, yep. flood control will be there uh, answering questions and certainly helping folks get set. It is at the uh, George R. Brown Convention Center Saturday morning. I believe it starts at 10 a.m. 10, 10 to yeah. 2 or 3. 10 yeah. to 2, that sounds about right. Uh, so that's what we'll be taking care of. Okay, so now we've got the current season uh, set, Jeff. I want to back up to 2015 in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both of us being in, in, in working in the meteorology field, um, I think a lot of times meteorology is defined by events. Yeah. It's defined by times that we all get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day 2015, everyone got tested across. Give for folks that either are listening to this for the first time that have maybe heard of it, didn't live here at the time, um, what's, the, what's the setup that you guys saw as, so, this, as this was all developed? Right, so... The spring of, of 2015 was very wet, and so going up into Memorial Day weekend, we had had a lot of rain before that. Uh, we had had a couple of, of heavy rainfall events in Harris County even the week before. That's uh, around the 14th and 15th. We had up to 10 inches of rain in just a couple of hours down around the NASA area. Uh, and then we got a little bit of a break there for the week, and then we had the Memorial Weekend event. Um, you know, 
in meteorology, we talk a lot about moisture and, and how much moisture is going to be in play and, and, and all this technical stuff. And, and when we start seeing some of these high moisture levels, slow storm motions, uh, you know, slowing down, stalling type boundaries, that, that gets us concerned. And, and we have something that we call a flash flood decision tree that we can use and kind of check off some of these technical terms. And going into that weekend, um, you know, we were cranking out 90, 95% uh, favorable conditions for a flash flood event. And so, you know, it's not like we were blind going into this. Um, we certainly expected something to happen. It didn't unfold as, as most of these events never do exactly how we thought because what happened before Memorial Day 15 here was Wimberley. Mm-hmm. And Wimberley happened the Saturday night before um, we got all the heavy rain here in southeast Texas. And so when Wimberley happened, and, and what I mean by Wimberley is, is the massive flash flood on the Blanco River that claimed, I don't know, around eight, eight or ten lives mm-hmm. and wiped several homes you know, downstream. It was a classic Texas flash flood. Um, and that line of storms made it over here that following day, and it blew through here, and we had one to two inches of rain, no big deal. And so a lot of the thinking then was we had dodged the bullet. Um, of course, from a meteorology standpoint, no, we still have all the same factors in play. You know, the Memorial Day, the, uh, during the day, we were getting a lot of sun, a lot of heating, and all of this. And things didn't get worked over no. in terms of the atmospheric conditions That's didn't right. get churned over like they would had we had, you know, a stronger line of thunderstorms, three, four, five inches versus just the one that right. moving through quickly. And so we had the second line come out of Central Texas, and uh, we were watching it very closely. And, uh, you know, the concern was would it get off the coast? And as we know now, the answer is no. It, it hung up, you know, right along the US 59 corridor southwest of Houston from about downtown down to Sugarland and just dumped. And um, we had these these additional supercells or big storms that developed south over Fort Bend County that kind of merged with the line. And uh, the rainfall rates were just incredible. Uh, you know, we were pushing four or five inches an hour. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of our flash floods in Harris County, the damage is done in a short period of time. We get... 8, 10, 12 inches of rain in 3 or 4 or 5, 6 hours, and it's done. It's over. Um, and that's very damaging for us here. Uh, we're flat. We are urban, although, you know, a lot of it is not because of the urbanization. It's because we get these very incredible rainfall rates here along the Gulf Coast. And so the water runs off very quickly. And honestly, because we're flat and we used to be marsh, it just has nowhere to go. Um, and if, you know, the flood control district and other drainage districts haven't done these improvements we've done, we would flood a lot more than, than we flood now. Um, so that was Memorial Day 15. It was, it was really focused Southwest Harris, um, from, you know, the Meyer, downtown down to Meyerland, Bray's Bayou, Keegan's Bayou, and then down into the Sugarland area. So even though it was a very tense, intense, small event, it was relatively small in size compared to tax day 16, which was a much larger rainfall event. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of the similar similar similarities to 15 we saw in 16, in tax day 16, uh, slow moving boundary parallel to the upper level winds, perpendicular to the low level inflow at night. And that is a classic flash flood setup for us. If, if I see that in the forecast, in the model forecast, uh, I get worried. Now that doesn't mean every single time it's going to happen. But and the conditions are the conditions similar to are what there. we've seen Absolutely. in those big events, right? And it doesn't mean it's always going to happen in Harris County. You know, if you take Memorial Day 15 and shift to 25 miles southwest, we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. It would have been over rural Brazoria County or something like that. And there still would have been flooding, but the impacts 
wouldn't have been as severe right. as, as we see in Harris. And obviously, uh, you know, nationally, folks remember the pictures of the flooded out uh, feeders underpasses with the multitude of cars that were all just flooded and smashed into each other like someone had just thrown Hot Wheels all over a road somewhere like this. Yeah. Folks and water, vehicles and water don't go together. No, they don't. And, and that's something we really need to, and I'm going to get pretty blunt here about this, but it's something we really need to deal with. And honestly, it's, it's kind of personal responsibility at some times that comes down to do not drive in the high water. You know, if you see high water, it's very simple. Don't drive into it. Um, and especially at these underpasses where we've had fatalities. We had fatalities at underpasses in Memorial 15. We had fatalities at some of the same underpasses in 2016. They were barricaded. Uh, in some cases, barricades removed. Um, you know, it's just not worth it. And you and I know when we get into these, and, and we call these these flash flood emergency situations, yeah. which is our highest threat level. You know, this is a life-threatening, dangerous situation. Stay where you're at. Not a single person drowned in their house in any of the last two years. In all of the, in the 17, 18 fatalities we've had in Harris County and all the flooding in the last two years, not a single person drowned in their house. Um, and so I know the first reaction, water comes in your house, the first reaction is to get out of it, mm -hmm. but you're safer in your house um, than getting out. This isn't Central Texas. Homes aren't going to be washed away off their foundations and washed miles downstream. Cars will be. And if you get in your vehicle and you drive through high water, you're putting your life in danger and you're putting the lives of the first responders, when you call 911 and get yourself in trouble, you're putting their lives in danger because they're going to have to try to respond to you and rescue you. And, and I can tell you on Memorial Day 15, it was an overwhelming response of 911 calls that came. Uh, and, and people, you know, emergency crews were maxed to, to what they could do trying to get high water vehicles and boats out because there was so much flooding so quickly. And you have large amounts of vehicles for example, on I-10 and I-45, um, and just trying to get emergency crews to those locations was very difficult. Um, and that's what happens when you have an urban flash flood that happens very quickly, is even your emergency services, as good as they are, they just have a very difficult time getting there. And so even if you do get into trouble and call 911, you may not get help in the time you need it as quickly as you need it, because the water's going to come up quick. And if you do find yourself caught in high water in a vehicle, you have to get out of that vehicle. You cannot stay in that vehicle. You need to do everything in your power to get out of that vehicle. If you can't open the door, if the power has gone out, you have to find something to break uh, those windows and get out. Because if you don't, the chances are you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And which, which unfortunately, we saw a couple of times in some of these events over the last two years. Going back to 15, and even let's use tax day last year in 2016, um, what, I don't know if lessons learned are the right way to put that, but, but what... Um, what advances, I guess I should say, has Harris County Flood Control made learning from some of the things that we saw happen in 2015 and 2016? What people can prepare for that you all are preparing for if we were to happen to get a big event again this year? Yeah. There's so many um, when you start looking at it. You know, the Flood Control District, we, we are always preparing for, for flooding. We are always doing projects to help uh, reduce flood risk. And let me reduce flood risk, not eliminate, because we will never eliminate the flood risk. But we help reduce it. And we do live in the swamp here. And so. we, yeah, absolutely. We we are we are low land area along the Gulf Coast, uh, not all that different from Louisiana. 
And um, so we, we were always working on that. And when we have a flood, it doesn't necessarily change the way we are planning to do stuff because these are big projects that take years to do. And so, you know, floods happen, and there may be some looking at of uh, different aspects of, of things or maybe where other projects need to be done. But, for example, the, the project that's been going on on Braze, Project Braze, to help uh, reduce the flooding risk, not eliminate, um, that's been going on for several years, and it's a federally-led project by the Corps of Engineers. Um, and so that continues to move on. There's nothing really differently that's happening because it's flooded on Braze or anything like that. Um, we've always known that these bayous have flood risk. And let me let me just make a point here um, because it's interesting. I, I do a lot of talks and I go to, and I talk to a lot of people and folks that live down on, on Galveston Island or on Bolivar Peninsula or down at Surfside or Sargent, you know, they build beach homes down there and they know one day that this home may get not only damaged but washed away completely. And, and they kind of accept that risk. And you can go talk to folks that live along the Trinity River or the Brazos River or the Colorado, and, and they know one day there's going to be a flood. But what's interesting is in Harris County, we have built homes right along the bayous, right along the edge of the bayous, and we don't seem to have that same risk factor. It's it's almost surprising to some people when the bayous flood. Mm -hmm. um, and it shouldn't be because these bayous are designed to handle a, a certain amount of water, um, and when we get that and we, and we overwhelm them from time to time, it's going to flood. And the lands right next to them are the low lands, and they're going to flood. And so for some reason here in Harris County, there's, there's this kind of, oh, it never floods, even though the bayou's right across the street from me. And, and that's probably not the mindset we should have. Um, Do you think it's something that people, because they're living within the urban landscape, within the city itself, that they don't necessarily think of the same risks? As someone down on, let's say, Galveston does at that point, because as, as you know, you look out your door, or you look out your window, there's the beginning of the Atlantic Ocean you're looking at, the Gulf of Mexico. I think, and I don't know, this is me speculating on, on the perceived risk, because people, what we've learned from, from dealing in meteorology with how to issue warnings and how to word things is people deal with perceived risk to them. What is my risk at my house right now? Um, which is a very specific risk that, that we have a very hard time in our realm of business um, getting to that level of your house is in danger. Um, but I, I think one thing is water in general, people act differently towards. If, if, if you were to say you might have a flood or you might have a tornado, if you said tornado's coming, people are going to react a lot differently than if you said there might be some high water coming. Um, and that is just something different. The other thing is, is I think if you look at Galveston and the coastal areas, people have seen and may remember when, when entire homes are washed away and destroyed. And typically we don't see that with flooding. We see a lot of rising water and it produces a lot of damage, but, but from the outside, the home doesn't look very damaged. There is a lot of damage on the inside, of course. Um, and so maybe that plays into it a little bit, but, but that is one thing I've noticed is there's a little bit of a different mindset. Um, in this area, in, in the Houston area anyways, that if I live across from the bayou, you know, I'm so kind of surprised when the water comes up. Um, but the other thing to point out, some of the other lessons learned is, is the amount of structures that have flooded outside of the, the uh, floodplains, outside of, we hear a lot about floodplains and, and what all that means and everything. And if you're in a floodplain, you have flood insurance. And if you're outside of it, you're not required. Well, here's the deal. Up to 60% of the homes that flooded on tax day 16 were outside of the floodplain. Okay. So a lot of homes 
potentially can be flooded outside of these regulatory floodplains. And the reason being is we talked about these rainfall rates, you know, two, three, four, five, six inches an hour, just incredible rates. And the curb and gutter systems, your underground street drainage systems, and even your roadside ditch systems just aren't built to handle that type of rainfall rate. And so the water deepens in the street and then it can get into the homes. It's, it's usually very shallow, a few inches, maybe mm -hmm. up to six inches. Any water in a house is damaging. Um, and it usually doesn't last very long. Um, but a lot of homes can flood that way around here, especially when you start talking about totals like we saw on tax day, 15, 16, 17 inches of rain in 12 hours. Uh, the other thing is, is, is if the bayou itself or creek goes beyond its 100-year floodplain, then, then potentially you are going to flood those homes outside the 100-year floodplain. And we did see some of that, especially with tax day uh, 16, uh, up along Cypress Creek and in portions of Attic's Reservoir where, where the channels themselves had upwards of 500-year levels. And so if, if you have that, then the homes that have done everything right, uh, you've built your house to the, the policies and, and the, uh, the regulations in place, you could still flood. And that is why every single person needs flood insurance because there's always going to be the storm that's going to come along and exceed the design. It's the same concept of New Orleans and the levees. They're built to, you know, the standard project hurricane, which is roughly a Category 3 type intensity storm for New Orleans. What about the Category 4? One day it will happen. It will happen again. Mm -hmm. And the levees will be potentially overtopped or breached again in just, New Orleans. Just as they were in, just as in, they were in Katrina. 2005, right? Absolutely. And so there's always going to be that storm that will exceed the design of, of what has been built. And, and we can only dig things so deep and wide here. You know, if you look at Bray's Bayou, there's a lot of urbanization out there. There's not a lot of room for any more detention basins. It's pretty much all developed. So we can deepen and widen the bayou. Um, it's very expensive. It takes a lot of time to do. It will reduce the flood risk. Um, but then what happens if you get the 25-inch bullseye over Bray's Bayou? It's going to flood. It's going to flood, even with Project Bray's in place. And that's why I say we need to, we really need to focus on when you see construction going on out there and, and basins being dug and bayous being widened and deepened, it's helping to reduce the flood risk, but it, we will never eliminate the flood risk here. Well said. So, Jeff, uh, if people need to get in touch with information with this upcoming summer season here, any floods or this and that, a uh, really good resource for them is Harris County Flood Control, including uh, the map that shows channel status rainfall rates as well. Talk a little bit about that for folks that aren't familiar, either A, where to get that, and B, what they can find once they get on your website. There. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so my group handles the, uh, the what we call the flood warning system, and that is our, our real-time uh, gauge uh, information. We have 153 gauges. We did add, due to tax day, we did expand outside of Harris County into Waller County, and uh, we are even looking at some expansion into Montgomery County. Uh, so we know a little bit of the water that's coming into Harris County from the surrounding areas. And, and we get a little bit. We don't get a lot from outside of Harris County. The majority of our flooding happens from rain falling directly on this county. Um, another important point to be made is, is, you know, we have rivers to our west and to our east. We have the Brazos to our west, the Trinity to our east. Neither one of them directly cause any flooding in Harris County. So that is a Fort Bend County into Austin Waller County situation, Missouri on the Brazos, the Trinity over Liberty. So even when it rains up in College Station or Dallas Fort Worth, Austin, yes, that water comes down those rivers, but it doesn't directly affect Harris County. Um, but anyways, this 153 gauge system we have, it's uh, harriscountyfws.org. You can go on there. You can look at the rainfall and the time 
uh, spatial time you want. So you can do 15 minutes, hour, 24 hour. You can look back uh, as many years as you want. Uh, and then you can switch over to our, status, our channel status page. And it's a very quick snapshot of green, yellow, red. Green is good. Yellow is we're within three feet of bank full. Red, we're over banks. And so it's a snapshot. If you want to look further at that, you can drill down and look at how quickly the water's rising. We have historical floods, so we take high water marks at all these locations after the events. Um, so you can compare the water level to maybe a previous flood. Um, we have the, the what we call the flood um, frequency, and so that's your 10, 50, 100, 500 year water levels in the bayou. Um, and so you can compare that to where the water level is now to kind of get an idea of what flood you're looking at, what type of flood you're looking at. Um, it's very important that, that, that you know, you familiarize yourself with that now. Take a look at that site. Uh, I know that like the TV weather folks use it a lot mm -hmm. when we're, when we're having floods. Very, very valuable site. Yep. So it's it's good, and we're, we're trying to do some upgrades to it um, coming up. We, we would definitely like to get uh, that site where we could do, where people could sign up for their gauge they choose to set their alarms to their phones. So if, if you wanted to be, if you wanted a text message when the gauge hit this height, you could get that. We're not there yet, but that's one of the, the future potential upgrades that we're looking at to that site, along with the, the potential to add some sort of uh, inundation mapping. So obviously this would only be available when the when the channel is, is out of its banks, but to show the extent of the of the flooding from the channel, it, it gets a little wishy-washy here in Houston because we're so flat. So a lot of times just water running to the channel and water from the channel can kind of mix and extend some of these inundation areas out a little bit more. So those are two of the big things we're looking on. I, I certainly encourage uh, people to go. We have a, a flood uh, mapping tool on our website also where you can put in your address and you can see how close you are to a floodplain or if your address is in a floodplain. Um, and if you're buying a house, those are the times to ask those questions. Um, am I in a floodplain? Has this house flooded before? Uh, people who are selling their house are supposed to disclose that information. Uh, you know, they may or may not do that, but, um, you know, even, even once you get into the, if you buy a house and, you know, start talking to the neighbors, hey, has there been street flooding here? Have, do you know if these homes have flooded before? Because not everybody's truthful all the time on, on disclosing information. Um, just to get a, a kind of a flooding history of the area. Um, and if the answer is yes, if, if, and, and don't blow it off like, oh, it was Allison. Yeah, we flooded during Allison. Okay. Um, you know, anybody can flood here anytime. If you get the, the right amount of rain over the right area, uh, it can flood. I can flood. You can flood. I have flood insurance. I'm not in a floodplain. I have flood insurance. I have flood insurance because I have flooded. And I know exactly what you go through when you flood. I can sit here and, and describe the smells that you, mm -hmm. that you go through. And, and it's not as simple as I'm going to open the doors and windows and air this place out. It doesn't it, work that it, way. It doesn't work that way. No. You 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 sit with those smells for a while <laughs> until you can get stuff fixed up. So, you know, you you got to have that flood insurance to help you, especially on the financial side of it, uh, when something like this happens. Um, and so that that's a lot of of the information. We have some maps, and we have obviously on our on our website we have some uh, information on statuses of project on um, Project Braze and other projects. You know, it's not just Braze Bayou. There's 22 watersheds in Harris County. Um, and, and we have 1,500 miles of channel that we have to maintain. And so we have a lot of infrastructure out there. And everybody along these channels feels the same way as the people in Meyerland. 
um, we have floating problems too. What is what can be done to help us with our floating problems? And so we have to prioritize projects with with the biggest cost effectiveness for the project and helping the most people that we can possibly help uh, with some of the projects that we do. And so that's that's kind of how we we operate. Um, and then of course we the uh, the other side of it is we have an entire infrastructure. We have to maintain what we put in, um, just like TxDOT has to maintain the roads. Uh, when you have big floods, it damages our infrastructure. You have cave-ins along the bayou, you have erosion, you have culverts that collapse. Uh, and so we're still trying to fix some of the stuff that happened Memorial Day 15. Um, because we don't really have a budget for fixing damages. And we have a budget to maintain, to mow and do routine maintenance. But when we have these big disasters, uh, we sort of rely on FEMA to help reimburse us for the for the cost of, of the damages that we incur and so um, we still have damages out there from 15 we're trying to get fixed so these big floods they they can be costly um, they certainly can be yeah I think it's something that you know going into hurricane season here getting into sort of the you know the, the wet of summertime here that we have here across southeast Texas that's always a good thing to know Jeff thanks for joining us today I really appreciate it absolutely All right, that's our podcast for today. I'm Justin Stapleton. Be on the lookout for another podcast going to be dropping very soon. Otherwise, have yourselves a wonderful afternoon.